Hello and welcome to Classical Stuff You Should Know, a podcast about books and the ancient world and literally just whatever we've been thinking about recently. My name is Thomas Magby. I'm joined as always by Mr. A.J. Hannenberg. That's this guy right here. And Mr. Graham Donaldson. And that's this guy right here. <laughs> cool. And this guy over here is passing it off to that guy over there. This is, yeah. Again, I, w- I was going to say this was a, a visual medium, but we actually have YouTube videos also. So if you want to see us. In the flesh, you can find Hello, us on YouTube. Hello, YouTube. Hi, YouTube. Uh, YouTube, uh, you can send each of us one of those little golden YouTube microphones. Is that a thing? Yeah. When you hit, I don't know, a certain number of subscribers. No, they give you a button. I thought a it was button. a button. Oh. Yeah, you, you, get a button? you get a play button. Let's get one of the, yeah, that's the thing. Let's get one of those. We so, are nowhere Don't close. we need a million subscribers for that? Well, At least. Well, how many, we probably got like what? Maybe 25 or something? 100. 100? 125. Oh. So, yeah. Don't we get like a wooden button? <laughs> or like a pewter? <laughs> we'll, we'll, pewter button? We'll give you a wooden, <laughs> yeah. Yes. Plaster. Yeah, good. All right, so today's episode is from AJ. So AJ, what do you what do you have? All right, today we are doing something a little different from my usual episode. I usually will talk about a book, give you a summary, and then we'll like chat about it a little bit. That's kind of not what we're doing today. Oh, we, are, we are doing more of a topical thing, and it sprang from a book I was reading, St. Augustine's Confessions, which is fun. I'm just not quite through it yet. And will you do an episode on the Confessions one day? When I finish. I'm, more exci- I'm honestly more excited about finishing Faust. Okay. Yeah. So we'll, Do you normally we'll read multiple books at a time? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, so we're going to start with a couple of questions. Gentlemen, is evil its own thing, an opposing force to good? No. Evil is twisted good. Okay. Well, why do you say that? Um, what, what's your proof? Well, I know Augustine. Okay. I, I don't want to. Ex- oh. Can you explain? It? So evil. So when um, God can exist without evil, um, but evil needs something to play off of. Evil needs something to twist and destroy for evil. So. Uh, evil is the the misapplication or the misappropriation or the destruction, the pulling apart of a good thing. So, like, the word diabolical in its old etymology means to pull apart. So, the ethos of evil is to take a whole and to pull it into pieces and then leave a big old mess. It, but it sounds like what you're describing is an opposing force. It's a force, but it but it requires it needs that good thing to exist. So for you to look at something and say that's evil, there has to have been a good thing that gets eviled. Doesn't that no the reverse? So we can only know a thing is good because of evil, Mm-mm. right? No, because God can exist without evil. Yeah, the what? standard can exist without. The standard can exist, but we, but in our day-to-day lives, we would only know a thing is evil by its comparison to a thing that we prefer or a thing that is better, which would be the good thing, right? We can compare better to worse, and that's how we know one from the other. No, you can have a ro- Let's say you have a road, and this is a good road. You're going places on that road. It's going to take you to... It's going to take you home, to your family. Okay. That, it's a good road. Um, but there's a giant hole in that road, and it is no longer a good road, and you fall in that hole... And you curse that hole. That hole is not a thing that exists. Um, it's just a I mean, lack just, of. It's just a lack it, of road. Um, you fell in it. No, no. It's something that has destroyed. It has has ruined the road, and that hole is evil. <laughs> <laughs> but or did the road ruin the oh, my hole? Word. 
Not even. Wait, not no, even. I, I wouldn't say that. I don't want your stoner logic. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. I feel like that's just what we should call my episodes. Stoner logic. Stoner logic. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, public service announcement. AJ does not do drugs. I do In any way, shape, or form, except for coffee and the occasional ibuprofen. beer. And I'll be ibuprofen. <laughs> the occasional ibuprofen? Wait, no. I, I get want, headaches. No. If you're oh, going to do sure. caffeine, you got to do, like, oh, you're going to okay. get headaches. Okay. Uh, I asked this question because I, I've had a lot of conversations surrounding evil and its application and what can be evil and what can't be evil. And I sort of have an ongoing debate with both Donaldson and Mr. Shu and uh, Miss Maya Manchester about can a, can a book be evil? And depending on your view of evil, you might take a different stance on that. Uh, one of one of the three that I talked to believes that a book can be evil if it encourages you away from God. I posit that a book cannot be evil. Left inert on a forest floor, it does no harm. And so this very substance of the book is not evil. The intent or the message is evil, and that is evil of a person, right? So I, I've seen different views of this, so I decided to sort of dive in. And I've also heard... Graham, your definition of evil from St. Augustine, that evil is a thing that twists good and does not exist in and of itself. Mm-hmm. I've heard it from, uh, from, from you and from several people uh, and from C.S. Lewis, who says the same thing about it, and many other people who have taken Augustine's definition and sort of run with it. But I never read the Augustine himself. Like, I've never read the are, original. Are we mispronouncing Augustine for the rest of this episode? <laughs> I just wanted to get clear wow. on that five minutes in. Wow. Do you, do you want fired. this to be your episode? It's, I'll take it from can, here. Yeah, I got, I got 55 minutes. I'll be take it. Yeah, my guest. All right, uh, so let's turn to confessions, page one. After doing a 10-part Joke's part on you. It's not on page one. Dang it. Um, anyway, I'll, I will try to do better. Thanks for calling me you out. You can call him whatever you want to. It's, I, mean, I think I'm fine. If we're being real about it, it's Augustinus. Call him so, that for the rest of the time then. Oh, um, please don't. <laughs> We got to be pure about some things. We'll right? just ring a bell every time we. So, are you saying it. So, that Augustine doesn't quite no, say well, the same thing? No, well, I think there are nuances to it that we miss a little bit, and then there are some things that nuances. we. What are you? What, Why are what you grumping? Heck? You don't need to grump <laughs> yet. Oh, yeah, sorry, grump later. later. Nuances later. are good. What's wrong with nuance? Oh my god! What the heck? All right, cool. sorry. I take it back. What do you usually talk about? That's all we okay. talk about. Is we nuance. all we yes. all. It's literally our whole podcast. Yeah, is nuance. So I wanted to talk a little bit about Augustine's definition of evil and where it comes from and how that has affected Christian thought thereafter. I'm going to bring up a little bit of the Summa Theologica. Logica? Isn't it Logica? It depends. Summa Theologiae or Theologica. You can do either one. By St. Aquinas. <laughs> Nailed it. Yep. Uh, <laughs> now I'm just messing that's, with that's, Thomas. That's Aquinas, I believe. <laughs> Aquinas. Thank you. St. Thomas Aquinas. And, and so I'm going to do a few things. We're going to sort of work our way there. But one of the things that I found is strangely necessary for understanding Augustine, I'm oh, sorry, Augustine's Augustine. definition Look, just, of wanna, evil yeah. is the ontological argument, mm. which a lot of Christians don't know and has been sort of baffling philosophers for ages and ages since it came out. And Gentlemen, do you know what the ontological argument is and where it came from? Um, it comes from uh, Anselm of Canterbury, who was a monk in the Middle Ages. And in essence, the ontological argument is that God is the thing upon which nothing greater can be conceived, something like that. Mm-hmm. So think of the greatest thing that you can think of, um, and that greatest thing that you can think of is God. And it's a proof of God because Anselm posits that it's better to exist than not to exist. So if you can conceive of something, if you can conceive of God, but he doesn't exist, well, then you're not conceiving of God because it's better to exist than not exist. You're not conce- you're not thinking of the greatest thing. 
Yeah, it's, I mean, like, it's it's tough to. I mean, there's ex- something about a gold mountain. <laughs> 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 We're off to a good start. It's tough to express, but the argument basically goes that you should think, try to think of the greatest thing you can possibly think of, and that must be God, right? God is that Him whom about whom which or over whom nothing greater can be conceived, right? We can never conceive of anything greater than God. That's like His quality. And then question number two is: Is it greater to exist or not? And most people would say, yeah, it's better to exist. If, I, if I'm if i imagining a diamond, I would rather the diamond be real than unreal, mm-hmm. right? Sure. Um, I prefer, certainly prefer existing. And so it seems to be better to exist than to be non-existent. So to avoid self-contradiction, that thing you are thinking of that is the greatest thing in the universe must, as an essential quality, exist. Otherwise, you are contradicting yourself. You could think of something greater, something that exists in reality. And so an essential quality of God being the greatest thing oh, um, than him whom which nothing greater can be conceived is existence. It must be an essential quality of this great thing or else you could think of something greater and that would be God. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Sure. It is a very bizarre argument for God and one that has been, you know, criticized and that eventually they get to like multiple possible worlds and dimensions. And one of the most common criticisms is think of the greatest island you can. Okay. Right. It's the best island possible. It's got water slides. It's got long beaches. It's got coral. And all the coral is soft, like big pillows. Like, it's not even dangerous. A swim-up bar? Swim-up bar. And you're served by talking dolphins. It's wonderful. It's the Mm. best island you can ever think of. Well, is it greater to exist or not to exist? Therefore, this island must exist by necessity, right? That's one of the criticisms. But I think... But it does exist somewhere. Oh, oh, no. Out there. Need there are, the pale moonlight. Isn't the? Do you want to keep going? No. Was, okay. <laughs> isn't the the argument would, would just be that any island in existence is better than your fake island, right? Yeah. Well, and that you can always think of something like God is a different kind of thing, right? Where we are thinking of the greatest thing possible. Can I think of something greater than an island? Yeah, sure. I, I can. Do you have to rank your your things that are better than lot? So, for example, we could have awesome imaginary island, but like. crap island but crap island exists so is it better to so like if we're ordering the existence how much better yeah how much better is existence than awesome island so like crap island existing where the dolphins can't speak english and there is no swim up bar and the beaches are made of shards of glass um but it exists whereas the imaginary island doesn't exist is crap island better because it exists mere moments ago were you not complaining about nuance? <laughs> like, Thank you. Like literally Thank you. a minute and a half ago. Yeah, that's on you, Graham. <laughs> so this is soon. a nuance. This is the core. Uh, yes. <laughs> Dolphin speaking this English is, is the core. Yeah, not, good. Yep. Not the core issue at all. Yep. It's so far from the core. And if oh. a dolphin spoke, could you understand? Maybe that's the ticket is that every nuance Graham talks about he thinks is the absolute core of the issue. Mm, it's all it. essential. Yeah. Uh, okay, so that's the ontological argument, right? The greatest thing you can think of has all of these great qualities. It's inviolable. It exists in reality, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Weirdly enough, that's going to kind of kind of come into play with Augustine. I don't know if he had read the ontological argument or it was just sort of a way of thinking back then, probably coming from Plato and the Greeks. But it's it's a, a piece of this that you'll kind of you'll see how it plays in when I finally get to Augustine. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Augustine. You can say whatever you want to. Your episode. <laughs> so, one I thing will silently I, judge you the entire time. <laughs> one thing about Augustine that I found out when learning the Confessions is that he used to be a Manichaeist. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you guys know what that is? Yeah, oh, believing gosh. that there are um, two equal forces of good and mm, evil. Good. Uh, yeah, this Manichaeism was very popular 
when he was younger, there were yeah. like debate clubs about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, that's the core of it is that there's a, a good force and an evil force. They're both equally balanced and they, they fight back and forth. Right? They argue like a Dragon Ball Z episode. It's like you know, Satan charges up and God's like, oh, I have another level to get to. And God charges up and Satan's like, oh, I haven't hit my final power. And then he charges up and it's who's going to who is going to win the like is who's going to be 51 percent stronger than the other guy that's the big it's exactly right yeah it's i mean that's the thing dragon ball z exactly i wouldn't say exactly right <laughs> <laughs> I, I might temper well, that we could argue about the nuance yeah, thank you Good, thank you Good, wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> we must be getting break just started oh, for right. us i don't can, know what you tell yeah uh so exactly. you got it exactly <laughs> So yeah, there there's a good force and I an evil force. I can't conceive of a greater answer. <laughs> <laughs> Therefore, this is the yeah good. <laughs> and and humanity and the world is kind of what popped out sideways when God and Satan or whatever the, the two opposing forces were at war. You can think of it kind of like yin and yang, right? Two opposing forces equally as powerful, warring for control of everything. And this is what he believed for a long time. And now Augustine. Had, had some difficulties with some of the really basic stuff of faith, but you have to think about when he lived, right? A lot of the basic tenets of the Christian faith were not established. Correct. And so he had trouble. He's like, is God a substance? And he's like, okay, if he's a substance that fills the whole world like smoke, then will an elephant have more God than a flower? Do you just get more God because you're bigger? Interesting. And so he had to he had to ask himself all these questions. He's like, in my head, I could not get over the notion that he, he God was a substance, a thing that he could see with his own eyes. So he had stoner logic too. Oh, <laughs> yes. Wait, so does an elephant get more God? Um, so yeah, he was he was fighting the stoner logic hard. And he, I mean, he eventually came to realize that all of that was a little bit of silliness. But mm-hmm. he had, he actually, it took a lot to sort of get him over the whole, I think God is a real substance somewhere in the universe thing. Mm. And to see, I think the metaphor he eventually comes up with is seeing God as a sea, a grand infinite sea that the world is plunked into. And so... You can have a little piece of God, but that piece is infinite and you're still... So anyway, like, if you're interested in sort of seeing the development of Christian thought from an early perspective, reading the confessions is is certainly interesting. Sure. Um, so he's, he's tr- sort of trying to leave Manichaeism and convert to Christianity. His mom had been a Catholic for a really long time and praying for his soul, and he was kind of hanging out with some people who all realized that, like, this whole angling for political power and cl- academic clout is kind of ridiculous and we're not happy and... We see people who live on the street that are way happier than us. Why am I worried about all this extra stuff if they're happier, right? Or at least as happy. So he's he's going through a lot of really big spiritual difficulties. And he came to realize that if an essential quality of the good is that it's inviolable and unchangeable, like incorruptible, right? And in itself perfect. What if it stopped fighting the bad thing? What if it was just like, I don't want to fight today? That would be bad. No, I mean, what? He, he realized that what could the bad do to it? It's inviolable, unchangeable, uh-huh. cannot change from the good, incorruptible. So what is the bad going to do? You're saying that this was what conquered the Manichaeism in him that yeah, it was, they're not equal forces, essentially. Yeah, the one question was like, what if good doesn't want to fight anymore? Can bad do anything about it? Can good be tempted away from his conviction that he doesn't want to fight? Can it be corrupted? Can it be moved? Can it be uh, tainted in any way or lowered? No, because otherwise I could think of something greater, right? Yep. So if this force is the ultimate great good, it, it doesn't have a quality that leaves it vulnerable to the bad. 
So that's kind of how he defeated it in his head. It's one argument that sort of entirely dismantles the Manichaeistic religion, which is basically like, what if good doesn't want to fight anymore? What happens? And the, the answer is nothing. Like it might take over the world, but it's going to do absolutely nothing to God at all. Pretty interesting. Do you agree with this? Because so like if if good people stop st- standing up and trying to do good things, then bad people would overtake them or overtake, you know, society, a city, whatever. Again, he's talking at the level of like forces. I don't know. I, I just don't even know how he logics his way into good must be immovable and inviolable. Is he? Yeah. Is this he is talking with Christians and they're telling him that this is how God is? I just don't, I don't quite. Well, un- it's, it's a logical thing. If something, is it better to be something that cannot be corrupted or something that is corruptible? And the answer is something that cannot be corrupted. Yeah. So to be supremely good, you must not be corruptible. Otherwise I could think of something greater. Yeah. I don't know if we'll, I don't know if this comes back later. I, with most of these, aren't we kind of begging the question that by, so if we start from a place for the ontological argument, if we start from the place that the thing we imagine that is the best exists, well, why does that have to exist? Why can't I just imagine things that aren't real? Same with Augustine. If he starts from the place of the force of good is immovable and inviolable, well, then he ends up finding out that good is immovable and inviolable, right? Like, isn't there a circularity? Well, I mean, I don't think he's starting from it. He's saying to imagine the best thing. Like, and, and even in, in the Manichaeistic perspective, right? If they are opposing forces, then on the very one side, you have something that is absolutely and extremely and all pure goodness. Yeah. And so to be like, by definition, it's an, it's an argument from definition. Mm-hmm. The definition of pure goodness is something that is incorruptible because right. to be corruptible means that you have some weak spot. And if you have a weakness, you are not supreme perfection, right? So it's, it is a like, yes, with the ontological argument, I think the easy premise to take issue with is that existing things are better than non-existing things, right? There are, you're saying that that is an assumption that can be challenged. Yes. With the ontological argument, I think that is the easiest assumption to challenge is that existing things are better than non-existing. With Augustine's posit, I actually have far less trouble to say that to be inviolable or incorruptible is better than to be corruptible. seems obvious to me. And if I am thinking about the absolute force of good, the thing that is most perfect, it must by definition be inviolable. It's, it's a logical jump from the defi- very definition of the thing. Correct. You're saying it's definition. I'm saying it's circular because by starting from the place of this good force is inviolable and then deciding that it's inviolable. Does that make sense? You've, you've encapsulated the conclusion in your precepts. Well, that, I mean, him deciding that was inviolable is not the conclusion. The conclusion is that evil can't overtake it. Even evil has nothing to threaten good with sure. and therefore cannot be an equal opposing force. Sure. I'm asking why good has those attributes that Augustine, how does he know that it has those for those attributes that he gives to this force of good? Well, and that's my, that's my point is it, it it's an argument from definition, right? It's, it's same as the ontological. If, is it better to be incorruptible? If the answer is yes, then if I am thinking of the absolute best thing in existence, then it must have that quality. And this isn't an existence or non-existence. That thing is actually debatable about which one is better. It is clearly better to be incorruptible. Sure. And so if, if I'm talking about the best, it must, as part of its qualities, have incorruptible as, as a piece of the definition. That makes sense to me. Existence, I don't know if that is intrinsically better than non-existence. But of course existence is better. What are you talking about? But all this, incorruptibility, exi- this sure. existentialism is going to your head. I'm very worried about. Anyway. <clears throat> um, my cat's breath smells like cat food. 
No, I, I think what? I'm tracking. Um, so, but how does this, if we take that argument that uh, that um, Augustine, 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 I don't know which one is right anymore. Um, we take the argument where he says um, God or good could stop fighting and evil can't do any, anything about it. But that doesn't, to Megby's point, that doesn't play itself out in Christian ethics. So, is there something? Is there a difference in kind? As opposed what do you mean to, that that doesn't? So, for example, God, like we as Christians, can't say, "Hey, well, good's gonna win eventually." So, like, do whatever you want. Do whatever you want. Peace out. I'm not gonna fight for the widow and orphan, and uh, let's pillage the earth for all its resources. And you know, like you would say, no, that's not what. That's not the good. That's not. Um, uh, um, that's not that's not a good thing but i agree with the logical part of it where it says that evil can't wreck good or evil can't beat good even if good stops fighting it so i would contend that this does does play itself out in christian ethics we're, we're going to talk about this more a little bit later okay. but good being assured victory mm-hmm. absolutely does play itself out in christian mm-hmm. ethics yes right? no that is true we we work with a an assurance and a hope and absolute assured victory like for, for those of you who are atheists listening to our podcast, uh, the, I think the arguments here are still interesting. This part may interest you a little bit less, but w- like you're assured victory. You, you don't work with the, the thought that, Oh, I might be overthrown. And if you encounter demons, right? Like we know that they, they are really no threat. Does that make sense? Yes. I mean, so like, like the good will win and has won mm-hmm. already, mm-hmm. right? And that, Death is defeated. And that animates, the Christian ethic that animates the Christian ethic in a much different way than a Manichaean ethic, which says, who knows? We've got to double down because if we don't, if we don't evil could take over and win. Right. And they are of equal value and they are, yeah, are of equal power. Yes. Yeah, of yeah, equal yeah. power, yeah. which with I like, are we the greatest thing ever? No, we are viable. And mm-hmm. so we must always work to prevent that, to prevent being tainted. God yeah. is a different thing. If and he if, stops yeah. like fighting the devil, can the devil suddenly corrupt him? Sure. No. Yeah. I see yeah. What you're and then of course, if you feel like your cause that you're fighting is, is the great good against the great evil, um, you will sort of justify all kinds of tactics that, um, you know, may not necessarily be noble. I'm thinking like, if evil has to be like, overtaken, the no Christian ethic also has within it the, uh, the mandate to essentially play fair and play by the rules. And if you lose, you still need to lose with, without losing your soul. Um, whereas uh, if you want to talk about this Manichaean ethic, um, winning and losing is the ultimate thing. So if you get, if you, you know, have to break the rules in order to win, well, it's a, uh, a causal argument. Like you're winning is better than losing, even though you're, winning dirty or whatever. I don't know. This is taking us further afield, but okay. So I, I wanted to read the actual small passage from Augustine that contains his definition of evil. Okay. It's where he find like he's been struggling for it for chapters and chapters and wishy-washy and tr- like just wanting to know what is evil because he's decided that it's not an equal opposing force, right? He kind of knows that like if good stops fighting, there's no real danger to it from the evil. So mm-hmm. what, what is evil? Where does it come from? Did good start it? If good made the evil, then it can't be good anymore, can it? So what, like, he is just completely stumped and he's having a really hard time with it. So this is where he finally comes out of the clouds. 
And it became clear to and it became clear to me that corruptible things are good. If they were supremely good, they could not be corrupted. But also if they were not good at all, they could not be corrupted. So he's going to he's going to make mm-hmm. this more mm-hmm. I know that it's kind of hard to follow. We'll 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 kind of pull it apart. If they were supremely good, they would be incorruptible. If they were in no way good, there would be nothing in them to that corrupt. might corrupt. Right. For corruption damages. And unless, and unless it diminishes goodness, it would not damage. Thus, either corruption does no damage, which is impossible, or, and this is certain proof of it, all things that are corrupted are deprived of some goodness. But if they were deprived of all goodness, they would be totally without being. For if they might still be and yet no longer be corrupted, they would be better than in their first state because they would abide, they would abide henceforth incorruptibly. Okay. So to kind of pull that apart, he basically says all corruptible things, all things that can be corrupted must have some intrinsic goodness. Otherwise there would be nothing to corrupt. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. And say there, there's like a sliding scale, right? At a 10, you have totally incorruptible goodness. And at a one, you have like, you can't, can't corrupt anymore because it's a hundred percent corrupt. Does that thing exist? Well, that's the thing. He says, if you hit one, then there is nothing more to corrupt. And all of a sudden it has randomly gained a good property, which is incorruptibility, incorruptibility, <laughs> right? Yeah. It so, can't go any so further, impossible. Mm-hmm. which is impossible, right? Mm-hmm. You can't hit zero because all of a sudden it would be better than being at one. It would, it would randomly j- leap between like one and two, mm-hmm. right? It is a logical impossibility to corrupt all the way to incorruptibility because it's like corrupting to a good state. Mm. So therefore this thing, this imaginary thing that is like, hundred percent corrupt now all of a sudden has a good quality. So it's like 101%, mm-hmm. right? So it cannot exist. Therefore evil, pure evil cannot exist because intrinsically would have a good property incorruptibility and that can't happen. Mm-hmm. It can't be hundred percent evil and be incorruptible. Gotcha. So Are you guys it, tracking? Yeah. Yes. So it jumps back to, yeah, it, it gains a good quality when it sort of loses another point. If you ever hit zero, it bounces back to That's one. That's right. Right. This has nothing to do this. So in like the old civilization, I think it was civilization two, the old computer game, um, all of the world leaders had a peaceability ranking to them. <laughs> oh, I, know, I know this meme. And so um, <laughs> Gandhi had the lowest, like he was the most peaceable leader if you were playing against him. But, but you could play, uh, you, you could get a wonder of the world that dropped everybody's aggression against you by one. But when you dropped Gandhi's aggression by one, it went, it didn't just go down to zero. It actually went to the most extreme it could get it because of a back. code. It looped back. And so you ended up having like absolute war thirsty Gandhi just nuking, nuking the crap yeah. out of everything in the game. <laughs> and um, and so there's lots of wonderful memes about like super uh, ticked off Gandhi being like, your cities will burn. And uh, <laughs> um, anyway, so that, kind of, it, that reminded me of that little tidbit from all of our childhood. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> it goes so evil that all of a sudden it's good again and that can happen. All right. So you guys tracking. So therefore, tracking, yes. pure evil cannot exist because then it would have purity yeah and purity is good mm-hmm. right okay right does so he that's, make any kind of comment on devil satan like stuff like that, 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 that he was like an the, angel he was corrupt yep we can we can pull out where that comes from but there is goodness there to corrupt in fact there's like vader there's great goodness i can see goodness in you yes but that you're pointing to a past state i'm asking about like mm. is is he currently capable of redemption right isn't that what that means if he's not fully corrupt there's something to decorrupt whatever p- 
purify. Yeah, can Satan go to heaven? Uh, we, you guys are a field. Right. We, I, I got to bring you back for of... a little bit. Okay. Um, we'll, we can, we can like once we sort of finish our journey, we can give applications. Great. Right. Are you guys cool with that? Yeah. Sure. We will turn into the Socratic interlocutors. How else could it be otherwise? Mm. <laughs> yes. Please just agree with me as I go. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, I just have to ask you all to do that. Wait, that's a, <laughs> I, I can do that. Why? Well, yes, maybe. How could it be otherwise? How could, yes. 160 could episodes finding this very out. Well. Who, could, who could think any different? Of course so. Great. Okay. Okay. So to continue on, what could be more monstrous than to say that things could be made better by losing all their goodness? If they were deprived of all goodness, they would be altogether nothing. Therefore, as long as they are, they are good. Mm-hmm. Thus, whatsoever things are, are good. And that evil whose origin I sought is not a substance, because if it were a substance, it would be good, right? So merely by existing, you must be good, because if you if you hit full pure evil, you all of a sudden blip out of existence. So I was right. The thing we call evil is the is the disillusion, is the, like the corrupting force on good things. Yes. Yeah. I'm. I'm. Yeah. I'm sort of like awesome. fleshing out your definition and bringing everyone to understand what's what's sort of going on here. I appreciate it. Yeah. Otherwise, we would, we would have had a seven-minute podcast. So, yes. Yeah, I'd be like, well said, Magby. Or, uh, Donaldson, Donaldson, to I'm be done. clear. Yes. yes, to be clear. Okay. Uh, let's see. If it were a substance, it would be good. Okay. Evil whose origin I saw is not a substance. Okay. Um, I, I'm trying to find where I ended. It would not be corruptible unless it were good. What was the last thing I read? Do you remember? All right, I'll just take it from here. For either it would be an incorruptible substance, that is to say the highest goodness, or it would be a corruptible substance, which would not be corruptible unless it were good. Thus, I saw and clearly realized that you have made all things good and that there are no substances not made by you. And because all the things you have made are not equal, they have goodness over and above as a totality, because they are good individually and they are very good altogether. For our God has made all things very good. So if it is fully evil, it must blip out of existence. Therefore, everything that exists must have some sort of goodness, mm-hmm. right? And all everything God made is good. And it's totality, all things that exist together, that's very good. That's a lot of good, right? A lot of good things. Yeah. Eat it, manichees. Yeah, exactly. There's no evil, f- there's no equal forces here, right? Everything that has an existence must be in at least in some way good because it can still, it can still be corrupted, right? Mm-hmm. Um, okay, and then I'm going to do a little bit, a little bit more and then we're almost done. To you, and he's, ad- he's doing direct address to God here. To you then, evil utterly is not. And not only to you, but to your whole creation likewise. Evil is not because there is nothing over and above your creation that could break in or derange the order that you imposed on it. But in certain, certain of its parts, there are some things which we call evil because they do not harmonize which, with other things. Yet these same things do harmonize with still others and thus are good, and in themselves they are good. All these things which do not harmonize with one another do suit well with that lower part of creation which we call the earth, which has its cloudy and windy sky in some way apt to it. God forbid that I should say, I wish that these things were not, because even if I saw only them... Though I should want better things, yet even for them alone I should praise you, for that you are to be praised. The things of earth show, and he, he basically says like, all of this stuff that you created, even, even though it seems bad, is is good. So evil, it, it's not a thing. Like it's not a thing that exists to you. And what mm-hmm. we are calling evil is weirdly enough. You've used the language of like corruption or twisting. Mm-hmm. He simply said disharmony. Mm. 
Like, like Discord and... It's Discord. It's something that doesn't quite fit mm-hmm. or work with something else, right? It's when things are kind of butting heads and not quite working. Mm-hmm. And there are some things that are like maybe like have a lot less harmony with a lot of things. And then there are higher order things that have a lot more good, right? Mm -hmm. Like if there's a scale of corruptibility, there are things at seven and there are things at four, Mm -hmm. right? But all of that is a, and we call them good or less good depending on where they harmonize. Mm -hmm. And even if we say, man, that thing's an evil thing. Well, it's fine in harmony somewhere and it still exists. So it still must be corruptible. Meaning there is some good there, right? So what do we, how do we justify this or, or, um, what do we do? What do we as Christians do when we have commands of be perfect like my heavenly father is perfect and the command of sanctification that we are to stamp out all evil, all evil in our hearts, every last hair and feather to quote GK Chesterton. Easy, easy thing is bring yourself into harmony with God and God's order. Like, no, but I mean like this sounds like a recipe for being able to, um, sort of like explain into a comfortable place a bad thing be like oh well i i do this terrible thing but it's not purely evil because there's it's hard and it's harmonious with something like um uh, you know i I don't know i just feel like uh, how can this not end up being a um uh an argument in the hands of somebody who wants to get away with something to kind of say that the thing that that his sin is not so bad because uh, you can see some sort of good in him. I mean, I personally always hate it when you describe or when, when a student is talking about like a movie or something and they describe like a really objectively bad person in the movie. But they're like, but I kind of like him because there was that one scene where he was like human for a minute. And you realize like, oh, man, you know, like, uh, I don't know, um, Hannibal Lecter's had a really hard childhood or whatever. Right. Like. Um, I, I mean, I th- it seems like a mistake in logic, mm-hmm. right? More than anything. The things that we point to that are good is that he's made of God's creation. That's good. He's made in God's image, right? And say what you will about Hannibal Lecter, there are things that could still be corrupted. I guess it's just he's saying a like, corrupt man. How certainly. do you not say, oh, well, why do I need to push to be a seven, eight or nine? I can be totally fine with like a three, four or five. Because, at least I'm not a one. Yeah, and, and I'm never going to get you into. Be a one if and you I could never get into a zero because zero doesn't exist. So what's the like impetus, or how does this set up somebody for um, wanting to be good? I. That's a good question. I I thought of this more of it. It just changes the way that we think about and treat evil. Mm-hmm. It's certainly well. That's not, also my point too. But, but I, I, I guess I took the pot, like, you know me, I took the positive version of this, not mm-hmm. the like, how do we stop people from saying all kinds of things are good? And I took the, look, we get to say that all kinds of things are good, which means that we're, we're never fighting a losing battle against evil. Mm-hmm. It does not threaten to overwhelm us. What we are seeing is disharmony. And we can, we can always work to bring more harmony, right? Blessed are the peacemakers. Mm-hmm. And to bring something more in line with God's truth is to, like just increase the amount of good in an already good world. And to say like, this world is an evil, dark fallen place. Well, yeah, it's twisted. And there's, there's some, there's certainly some disharmony and there's some things that are happening that are definitely not the intent of the thing itself. But uh, you don't, you don't see this giving license to acedia or anything like that. I, I, I think that many good ideas can give license to mm, many other mm-hmm. terrible things, right? You can always take a license with a good notion, right? But you don't have to. And this can easily be turned to a 
a very hopeful message, right? Mm-hmm. Do you see what I'm saying? I see what you're saying. Like recognizing that the world is a good place is something I think we desperately need in 2020 or whenever this is going to air mm-hmm. and saying, look, yeah, it looks bleak, but on the whole, created things are good. And if you are worried about evil, well, I got great news for you. <laughs> it doesn't exist. Like it's as a, as a pure, it does, in like, a, well, in a purity, in a, in a pure form, evil is not in existence. Yeah. And as a force against good, it just, it, it's not going to overwhelm. Like it can't. Is that not cold comfort to the, to those who have really, for, for whom evil has, re- has brought in a lot of sorrow? I, Yes, it would be cold comfort to people who have a lot of sorrow, certainly, especially those who are starving and suffering mm-hmm. hardship and have endured genocide and abuse and all like all those things are terrible. But I, I feel like we're at the end of the episode here and I'm giving all the moral lessons. We still have more to cover. No, I know. But, oh, all right. Well, I'm just. I'm just... But uh, but I think like we, we have to also keep in mind the lessons of Boethius that when we submit our happiness to the winds of change, we can't be bummed when they're up and then they're down. Mm-hmm. Like you're going to have if you want the ups. You got to take the downs when they come. If you can, you can find your peace elsewhere and anchor it on eternal things. And that is what can like, that is what is the warm comfort. It is cold comfort to say the world is good when that what they are experiencing is disharmony. It is grand comfort to say the world is good. And it comes from a purely good place. Is the wheel of fortune. Good investing advice. Is that like, you got to take <laughs> great investing. advice. <laughs> called an all season is it all weather all seasons portfolio anyway yeah that's a separate conversation okay so we i gave you the augustine mm-hmm. definition nailed at that time said his name right you mean augustine oh my gosh now i'm confused okay, I don't know so uh i gave you the the augustine definition and that's where it comes from that's where a, a a ton of christian theology bases its view as evil is that tiny passage from augustine's confessions he also has another passage in another book that he wrote that's similar uh, but that's it. I mean, that's the spot. You, you've you read it, and now, listener, you know the basic source. But that's not as far as it goes. We also have the Thomas uh, Aquinas Summa Theologica, where he sort of develops a lot of these ideas and takes on, okay, what exactly is evil, and how does it work on things, and what are the causes? And he, he kind of is a highfalutin logical guy, and he goes way further with a lot of this stuff. And so I get to ask a couple more questions. Whoop. Um Okay, so is evil a nature? Can it be like thoroughly its own nature? Can someone be by nature evil? No, like fully evil? Is that the... Yeah. New? So then no, because fully evil doesn't exist anyway. Yeah, exactly. Evil is the absence of good, which is natural and due to a thing, but that anything fail from its natural and due disposition can come only from some cause drawing it out of its proper disposition. For a heavy thing is not moved upward except by some impelling force. So basically... uh Evil is not its own agent. It's not, it's not its own nature. Basically, it's something else moving it from, like, it's getting moved out of its natural by something else, but that something else might not even necessarily be an evil itself, right? Yes. Um, the name of evil is signified by the absence of good, and evil is neither a being nor good, and so it's, it's absence. Um, is evil found in things? Can a chair be evil? This is and this is the You're gonna, yeah. the equivocation about your book. Yeah, I mean, this is where the question kind of comes in. Um, I, I guess no. Um, I guess well, can a no? Can something be like so like meat sacrificed to uh, the Greek god or the Roman gods? Like, 
I oh, think. good one, Maggie. Right? There, there can be things that are like given to. But Paul says you can eat that stuff as yeah. long as no one's watching. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but there's there's still qualifications oh, around it, right? And even situations where you don't eat it. So there must be so, there's there is something different about that meat. In the same way that like I don't know, uh, do pagan priests like sit upon some kind of throne like it might be wrong to use that kind of chair in your chair example. or what if a chair what if someone designed a chair that it like really hurts you when you sit in it yeah right uh so i'm sure aquinas will say no but he's wrong so what do you do about it all right well let me let me read you the pertinent section i answer that as we said above the perfection of the universe requires that there should be inequality in things so that every grade of goodness may be realized so good like things at the seven and sing things at the four right gotcha. every grade of goodness now one grade of goodness is that of the good which cannot fail another grade of goodness is that of the good which can fail in goodness so and this could, grade is to be found chair. in existence itself hmm. for some things there are which cannot lose their existence as incorruptible things while some there are which can lose it as things corruptible so if it's a corruptible thing it is less good i think is his point so can you give me an example? Like a chair that's breaking down? Yeah, probably. Is that an evil chair? Chair that's breaking down or uh, like the, the example I always come to is like smut. Like books are good in of, of themselves, but books about terrible things are like they're losing their it's failing in its goodness. Hmm. So there can be an evil book. I think maybe. Oh, what? So so I, after after doing all of this thinking, I, I've come to the conclusion that like a book that is not in harmony with God's order is an evil thing. Does such a book exist? Yeah. Yes. So like, remember if, if evil is disharmony, then it depends on what piece we're talking about. If we're talking about the book itself, then I would say decay of the book, right? The book is falling apart and burning and falling to pieces. So let me give you an example, like a book where the big overarching moral core lesson is like abandon everything for the woman you love. And it's like, and then that's the, that's the like great ethos of the book. Would you say that that is in or not in harmony with God's created order? Well, I think then we're talking ideas. Uh, Hmm. And I think ideas can be good or evil depending on whether they bring harmony or not. And that one sounds like it's a recipe for disharmony. Okay. Um, But it depends on like Aquinas makes a differentiation between like, he, like the causes, the matter, the thing worked on, the action, all of these things can have a different of kind of evil. <laughs> there's also evil of yeah. punishment and then there's evil of like intent and there's evil of like calamity. So I can be punished for something or I can just suffer misfortune. He, mm-hmm. I mean, he, he is a cut and dried. Everything needs to be in its little box kind of thing. And this was actually a lot of this was really hard to understand, but that's that's what I think is that I think there would be some sort of evil of the matter itself. Mm. It's its own decay is mm-hmm. not good. And then the ideas would be a separate form of disharmony. And actually, I think we could probably trace that disharmony back to the man. It's it's a problem in the man. And so the 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 problem there is not in the action of making the book. It's not in the matter of the book. It's in the agent the man who Hmm. made the book. And those are the three kinds of evil that he talks about. Evil in the agent, evil in the matter, evil in the action. So if you like picked up a book and it made your hands really itchy, that's an evil (laughs) in the matter. Evil in the matter, right? Or or like if I was trying to make a sword Mm -hmm. and it's just the steel sucks, right? 
like that's a that's a fault in the matter. Gotcha. Right. Or one that's, of those that's books that has the, the uneven pages on the side that you all hate. Oh god. Evil in the matter. Oh, I like oh like the like, like the side of my Odyssey right there. Yeah, yeah. Drives me that? Nuts. You, you can't like the, flip. You can't flip to the right page. You don't like the Fagels? Uh, I hate it. Oh. I hate the rough the cut, cut edges. I mean, you like the book itself, right? Yeah, the book yeah. is great. The rough cut edges drive me nuts. And then an, a fault in action would be like me stabbing you. That That is evil. Or actually, I don't think that's it. I think that's a fault in the agent, my intent. I think that fault in the action would be like me doing something poorly. Yeah. Like me doing hurdles. Call it what you want. I Nothing like wrong it. with the hurdle. <laughs> Still not good. Nothing wrong with the like the intent. <laughs> I'm fine. It's just I am bad at hurdles. Gotcha. And yeah. so mm. that's, that's a failure in the action, right? Okay. Can And here's where it starts to get complicated. We got oh, we went all okay. from... <laughs> <laughs> We went all the way from the ontological argument and we're mm-hmm. ending up in some theodicies. So the problem of evil. Can, can good... Yeah, we talked about the Odyssey already. Yeah. Odysseus? Yeah. Which book of the Odyssey? Hey. Hey. In, Focus. Interlocutors. I need, your, I need some yes men right By now. Yes, of course. Yes. Okay. Can good be the cause of evil? <sighs> no. No, no feels like the right answer. What, why, what is our hesitation? Well, then what causes evil if it's not a good thing, if it's not good? The absence of good. So just good not being there? Yes. So then we're back to good piecing out for a day. Hmm, interesting. I guess no would be, again, we're talking at this like high. So at one level, yes, good can be the cause of evil if good does not prevent evil, right? But I think he's talking at this higher level of like the force of good versus the force of evil. So I would still say no. But I mean, AJ stabbed me because he was jealous of how good I am. So your goodness is what caused yeah. his jealousy. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, no. His No, you didn't cause his jealousy. There was jealousy oh, in him. That's that right. Was, maybe it reacts to your goodness, but it, your goodness is not the cause of it. That's right. I'm just, I'm just a humble, beautiful. Yes. Yeah. So no. Beset on how wrong by. are we? How, how, how heretical are we? Evil has no formal cause. Oh. Rather... Is it a privation of form? Likewise, neither has it a final cause, but rather is it a privation of order to the proper end, since not only the end has the nature of good, but also the useful, which is the ordered end. So evil has no telos. So hold on. Evil, however, has a cause by way of an agent, not directly, but accidentally. Hmm. Evil comes by way of accident of something else working. Hmm. For And one of the examples he gives, gives is of a fire, Right. The form of a fire is to burn hot and the hotter I burn, right? If I am, and like even, it is even the good of the fire to do so. If the fire burns hot, it may be causing evil to something else nearby. The air is getting consumed. The water is getting evaporated, right? The good of the fire is the evil to the water, right? And so maybe your good causes by way of accident, my jealousy, Hmm. right? And my my love for something good for maybe, maybe you have, I'm jealous of like your cash, right? I am my love for say comfort, my love for generosity, my love for all of these things. And it is a love, like those are good things by way of accident cause something else, right? Okay. It is a, it is a defect in the cause and it's sort of like is an accidental whoopsie that poops out the side. Mm -hmm. So, so evil has no formal cause in and of itself. Evil cannot cause itself because it is not a thing, right? So because evil cannot be a cause, good must be the cause of evil. So then what was the first evil? The first whoopsies? A, a love for honor. Satan wanted 
to be yeah. on the throne? He wanted to be glorified. So God, so it was accidentally caused by God being glorious. Yes, that's was what I was it saying. inevitable. So I don't know. In the action, evil is caused by reason of the defect of some principle of action. So if like you're you're doing poorly at doing something, that's the evil. Well, I'm just like, saying. He, he goes through a lot of different versions of this. I'm trying to simplify as much as I can. Thomas Aquinas, which is rough. But if God created agents with free will, was the whoopsies evil inevitable? So the accident of evil. Okay, so we are we are moving towards his next question, which is whether the supreme good, God, is the cause of evil. And I, I can't tell you how many conversations I've had about this. They're like, why did put God put the tree in the garden? How does evil exist in the world? Uh Usually, in the problem of evil, which for the uninitiated listener is basically like, if God is all good, he would want to prevent evil. If God is all powerful, he, he can could. prevent evil. There is evil in the world. And if God's all knowing, he sort of knows what how knows not, how to do he's it. He's not going to make a mistake and be like, oh crap. Exactly. Yet there is evil in the world, so he must not be all knowing, all good, or all powerful. Therefore, God like doesn't work. And I can't tell you how many people Mm -hmm. have walked away because of evil in their lives. How many students are uncomfortable with the notion that evil is a part of God's plan. Like people have a really big problem with how to deal with evil in the world. And this gets at the very core of the question. Can the Supreme good God cause evil? All right. Can you justify the ways of God to man? AJ, I want to hear if you guys can first. Um, didn't you just say the answer is yes. God's glory is what caused Satan's sin. Therefore, God caused that first sin. The attribute of God is what brought something out in Satan. Isn't that what you just said from Aquinas? But it's an accident. But is it? Again, I... It's it's not a causal. It's an accident. Again, in the first place, I don't think it's right to say that God's glory caused Satan's sin. At some level, it's a defect in Satan that he was not the all good. So Aquinas says that... Here, I'll, I'll say it like... If, if the evil is a defect of the agent, it cannot be traced back to God because there is no defect in the agent, right? So I said that there are different kinds of evil. The evil um, mm-hmm. Agent, matter, and action, mm-hmm. right? So he says, but the evil which consists in the corruption of some things is reduced to God as the cause. And this appears as regards both natural things and voluntary things. For it was said that some agent, inasmuch as it produces by its power a form to which follows corruption and defect, causes by its power that corruption and defect. But it's manifest that the form which God chiefly intends in things created is the good of the order of the universe. And I'll I'll explain this in a sec. So just just listen along. Now, here's the important bit that's kind of easy to get. Now, the order of the universe requires, as was said said above, that there should be some things that can and do sometimes fail. And thus God, by causing in things the good of the order of the universe, consequently, and as it were, by accident, causes the corruption of things. According to 1 Samuel 2.6, the Lord killeth and maketh alive. So, basically, God is like the fire, and he burns so hot, and he wants to make the universe. This is the outer flowing of God. And the order of God's universe, the order of his creation, requires some things that can fail. And so, accidentally, as he sort of explodes the universe into existence, there also exist things that can fail. And this would be also, I did a little more research. This is kind of, uh, there's a theologian named Plantinga and it's his free will defense that God wants things. Alvin Plantinga. God wants things with free will 
and therefore there are things that can fail in his universe, mm-hmm. right? He creates the tree in the garden because he wants things with free will. That requires the chance of failure. Same with Satan. He, he had free will, obviously. He chose against. His nature was good, but he chose against the things of heaven. And so in creating this world, he didn't directly cause the evil. God can't. As an agent, that's not his thing. But, but he created a game where the probability of evil happening could happen. Yes. And then I think a natural question here is, did he intend it to? Like, did evil, did Adam and Eve falling take God by surprise? No. I would say no. Like, he knew that was happening. And so a piece of his created order is like sin is part of the game. And if that makes you uncomfortable, one way that I get a lot more comfortable with it is if you take God out of time, like most Christians believe he is out of time, then at the same time that Adam and Eve were falling, as far as God is concerned, Jesus Christ was dying to solve the problem. Mm -hmm. It was not a problem for millennia before God finally got around to solving it. It was a problem in the moment of falling that was at once being solved at the moment of crucifixion and renewed at the moment of second coming. All, if all of these things are in eternal history for God, like he is outside of time, then it's a problem that is solved, uh, the problem that is created. created, well, created by accident, kind of, but accident of creation, right. uh, created, solved, and then renewed mm-hmm. all at once as far as God is concerned. So then this could, yeah, Insofar as that is uh, believed and uh, and cherished in the heart of someone who loves God, that isn't cold comfort. That actually, um, Paul's not just saying uh, when he says, like, I consider it pure joy to have all of this suffering. Paul's not just like putting a good putting a good face on on bad things. No. It's actually he's actually making a, quite a a logic, not just a logical argument, but a profound statement about. Um, because of this revelation that we have that revelation 21 is happening like behold i will make all things new um and the game is already won that 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 actually ends up being the truth the truth and the way that you can endure the present suffering yeah the present evils i think as with predestination this can you can take two perspectives on this with predestination which calvin meant to be a comforting theology right once you are saved god will make sure you're like he chose you he pulled you up out of the muck and loves you even though you're nothing that's what he wanted it to be. Yeah, Calvin's the kind of guy that thinks like wearing a 60 pound backpack and like walking in the Arctic winds is like a great afternoon. Yeah, a weird fella. But <laughs> this same thing you could think, okay, well, God must therefore, you know, by accident have created evil. It's part of his plan. He is an evil. Like you could really sink in some dark places here. Mm-hmm. But I think you can also take it really positive. The evil that exists is part of redemptive history and it's a problem that has already been solved by his sacrifice of himself. Like, yeah, it's a terrible thing, but he solved it and he's going to come and renew it and save everybody and fix the problem. And for him, these are all happening at the same time. And so I I think the the place I wanted to get to from the get-go here is that it changes the world when you see it rather than as a place where good and evil are at war, as a place where good is everything. And evil is sometimes a disharmony in those various goods, but a place where harmony can be renewed, where God is consistently doing the renewing, where eventually all of that disharmony will be obliterated. And it's all part of like, none of this is an accident. None Mm -hmm. of this is out of control. None of this is chaos. 2020 might feel like it, but it's all sunk in redemptive history in the hands of God. Like you can take this to a really positive place. Maybe that's why I'm such a plucky guy all the time is because that's 
where I land things. None of this is a surprise or an accident or God being frustrated. Mm -hmm. It's all part of the deal. Anything do you have anything to add, Magby? I do not. Anything else really, that ended? You guys well, have I mean, opinions do, do, on do, that? It was a great ending. I don't, I don't have anything else to how say. How could it that. be otherwise? <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, you have not lifted that yet. So anyway. Oh, well, yes, so lifted. I mean, Bardo lifted. Left, so any no, thoughts? Oh, welcome for the nuance. No, I was kidding. Uh, <laughs> um, no, that's good. It's it's still something. I mean, yeah, it's it's again that tell that, you know, it's, it's a, it, yeah, the cold comfort for the person who's right yeah. in the middle of the hardship. Sure. But... I don't think you're wrong. Um, yeah. Um, it's not so. a great, like this isn't the th- kind of thing you should play for someone when they've just like lost their job and their family, mm-hmm. you know, give it a while, but maybe it's reminding them that they are in the hands of a benevolent God. Mm-hmm. Not to, well, all I do is undermine and devil's advocate. What, what, what is better comfort than that? If, why is that not the best? No, you're right. That there could be that mm-hmm. all, all of history was redeemed. <laughs> yeah, all, all of his, yeah, that that uh, sin was conquered. If you're if you're being if you're being wronged against by someone, that sin has been um, overtaken, and both they are forgiven, and heck, you for all your problems have been forgiven. Why is that not the best news that you could give someone? And there's a, there are better and worse ways to share that with someone. I think maybe Graham, that's what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like what what news is better than that to give to someone who's suffering and hurting? Mm-hmm. That's a good point, Megby. Good word. Finally got one in 160 episodes. Okay, so anything else before I wrap up? Let's end on that note. Great. That was a good one. So you can find us on YouTube, youtube.com slash classical stuff. You should know. You can find us on Patreon, patreon.com slash classical stuff. You can email us at theguys at classical stuff.net and you can find us online at classical stuff.net. Thank you all for listening. We will see you all again next week. Goodbye. Ciao. Goodbye. Goodbye.